We, um, we've been still talking about rest and I am, I'm starting to believe that, uh, we need rest for our bodies. Amen. We need rest for our bodies. That's true. And, and, and you can push your body past what you should, and you should learn how to rest. But, but nowadays I think more people deal with the issue of rest up here more than they deal with the issue of rest here. Because what happens is if you can't, if this can't be at rest, then you don't sleep. And then this never rests. Does that make sense? And so the Bible is packed full uh, of, of scripture messages that, that God wanted us to read on how, on how to put this at rest and how to put this at rest. And it is, it is not, uh, it is not wanting in, in, in the application of our current lives. It's not, it's not, oh, that's some old that, that never applies to us. It is, it is written in a way and through the Holy Spirit that, that you can superimpose it right on top of your life today and find rest for your mind and in your heart. Amen. And so we're going to keep leaning into this until you get it. No. For the next couple of weeks, up to Easter, we're going to keep leading into this. And, and the scripture we're going to look at today is, um, is a, uh, I've preached from this a lot of times, but, but I wanted to revisit it because um, it is important when we're in need, we are the most restless. Can you say amen? When there's a, when there's a need hanging out there that you can't fill, if it's a bill, if it's a if it's a, a, a need that your spouse has that you can't meet, if it's a need that your kids have that you can't meet, if it's a need that the IRS has that you can't meet, if um, whatever it is, the, that's the thing that can kind of, that keeps us on edge, isn't it? Keeps us up at night thinking about it. How are we, how's this going to happen? I don't understand what's going to, like, how's it going to take place? Where's it going to come from? And so uh, Paul wrote to the Philippian, the Philippian church and he, and he, he talked about this exact thing and how we can have peace. And it's, a, it's about the rhythms we get into. I'm starting to find out that the rhythms of my life control a lot about how I think. What I'm ingesting, the, the, the rhythm of my conversation, the rhythm of the people I hang around, all these things, the, my, my, how much I'm in the word, how much I'm communicating with God. It's all of a, it's all a rhythm that ends up impacting whether I can be at rest or not. And we're going to talk about that this morning. Are you ready? We're going to look at Philippians chapter four. We're going to start in verse four. Why don't you stand to your feet in honor of the word? Somebody say amen for 60 degrees a day. Oh, say amen for the time changing next week, right? There's a time change next week. Amen. Now you can leave your kids outside till nine. Don't even check on them. Like when it gets dark, come in. I don't even know if that's legal now before I give the advice. These free range kids. Philippians chapter four, starting in verse four. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Look at your neighbor and say rejoice. I'm going to get to that here in a second. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds 
in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is no, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things and the God of peace will be with you. Father, we thank you for your word to us today. Lord, it is not lost on you that our minds are a wreck at times, that there's no peace in our culture. And Lord, we want to be your people at peace. We want to be an example of how your word and your presence can put us at rest. And so, Lord, we pray that that would happen today. No matter our circumstances, no matter what we're facing, Lord, you said you're the God of peace and that you would be with us. So, Lord, let us rest in you. In Jesus' name we pray. And everyone said, amen. You may be seated. Paul is wrapping up his letter to the Philippians, and this is later in, late in Paul's life. This is not a young Paul pontificating on some idea that he hasn't practiced out. By the way, don't you get annoyed by, by things like that? You get on Instagram and you find the, no offense to 20-year-olds, but you just haven't worked it out. Like, you're going to get there. And then when you're, when you're older and we're all dead... Then you're going to look back at the people that used to be your age and go, you're going to find out. So this isn't Paul at a young age trying to start up a leadership thing and going, everybody should listen to me. This is a man who has lived it, who has worked it out, who has been in situation after situation where he was, where he was so stressed out, where he was so pressured by the demands of what God had called him to do. As a matter of fact, if you go all the way back to what Paul's calling, when, when he goes, uh, when he, when, when God has a man come and pray for Paul right after, right after he's blinded, the guy won't go and pray for him because he says, now I know who that is, Saul of Tarsus. And he's, he's terrorizing believers that I'm not going to pray for him. He said, listen, I need you to go because I'm going to show him how much he has to, he has to suffer for my name. Now, could you imagine being called of God that way? Hardly any of us would sign up, would we? So Paul has the experience, has the relationship, has the the rhythm to be able to write this to the Philippians. He had had been in circumstances where he thought he was surely going to die. He writes to the Corinthians, he says, I don't want you to be uninformed, brothers. But we thought we had the death penalty. We, we were sure of it. We were despairing life itself. We thought, we thought it was all over. But God delivered us. So it's in that vein that he can write these things. He's, he's, he's not book smart. He's experience smart. He, he, well, he is book smart, but then he is experience smart too. And he's writing to the Philippians and he's saying, hey, listen, I need, you help, I need to help you out today. Because there's pressure in your life that if you don't know what to do with it, it'll make you crazy. And, and I don't want you to be anxious and the, and the father doesn't want you to be. Jesus died so that you could have rest here and here. So let, let me start out right away. The, Paul's not being flippant and just going, oh, you shouldn't be, don't be anxious. You ever said that to anybody? Don't be anxious. And they're like, tried one time. I just tried to not do it. 
but the problem didn't go away. So Paul is addressing here at the end of the end of his letter to the Philippians. There's actually two women who were in some conflict. And at the beginning of chapter four, he says, Hey, help them not to be in conflict with each other. Like this isn't good in the church to have this ongoing conflict. So he said, help them not to be in conflict with each other. Because we also know that conflict, what causes the absence of peace and the presence of anxiety in our lives. Now I'm not saying uh, a good argument about what is true. Cause some of you are conflict averse and, uh, and you might never get to the truth because sometimes you got to beat the truth out of people. No, that was different. Um, but some conflict is good. Even, even Paul says that some conflict is good. So I'm not talking about being conflict averse. I'm talking about have conflict over silly things. And I would venture to say most of our conflict in our life is not to get to the truth, but it's kind of silly, isn't it? And so the things we argue about with family, the things that we argue about with our spouse, the things that we argue about with our kids, the things that we are just annoy us so much at work. And when you reduce it down to whether this is going to impact, you know, the global culture, it probably isn't. So Paul's saying, hey, listen, these two women are in conflict. I need you guys to get around them and get it, get it, get it fixed, get it, get it, get a resolution to it. Because we don't, we don't need that pressure to just be in a conflict all the time. And he says, listen, I need you to be rejoicing in the Lord always. Rejoicing in the Lord always. So we need to get into a rhythm of rejoicing. How many people rejoice naturally in here? It's just your personality type. You're happy-go-lucky. Everything's fine. Okay, none of us like you. Um, you're the people that walk into the room and go, hey, isn't it a great day? And you're like, I mean, you just got here. Obviously, you have no idea what's going on. Um, no, but we envy you a lot of times. Uh, we envy you a lot of times because you can have a positive outlook no matter what. And you need to help all of us. Amen? Come on, give it up for the people that can be just be positive. Just love Jesus more than all the rest of us. And they're like, why are you so down? Jesus is here. And you're like, I don't know, man. I don't feel him. Paul tells them to get in a rhythm of rejoicing. Now, he says rejoice. And again, I say always rejoice. Always. That's a rhythm. Think about, think, so, so now we have to think about how a rhythm works. It happens in time. It happens it happens regularly. It happens, a rhythm happens like tack, tack, tack. It, it happens in rhythmic. It, it like, I know it's going to happen at certain times. I know, I know it's going to play out. I, I know, I know it might happen the same time every morning and the same time every afternoon, the same time. It's a rhythm. And all of us have these rhythms. You wake up at the same time every morning. You brush your teeth probably about the same time every morning. True. Some of you are like, man, I forget a lot. But you get in this, so there's so many things we get in a rhythm with, but rejoicing, we wait until there's a causation. Now, if we, if we use the illustration of teeth brushing, then all of a sudden the rejoicing just because there's a cause seems stupid. Are you following me? Because if you wait until you have a cavity to brush your teeth, or until your spouse says, there smells like a, a large dead animal just crawled up in your mouth. And I appreciate it if you did something about that. If you waited, 
Trust me, all the young fellas in here, brush your teeth. It will, it will help you find a mate. <laughs> Just brush them really good. Don't, don't wait and say, nobody said anything. Nobody said anything about, about it. But we do rejoicing like that. We wait until there's a reason. Sometimes there's seasons of our life that if you only do it circumstantially, you may not find a reason. What am I going to rejoice about right now? My marriage is in a circumstance that I never thought it would be in. What am I going to rejoice about? I just got fired. What am I going to rejoice about? My car broke down for the third time this month. What am I going to rejoice about? But you realize that Paul doesn't say rejoice when there's a reason to. He says rejoice always. Get into a rhythm. Brush your teeth every day. Brush your teeth every day. Don't wait till the dentist just scolds you. Like, hey, have you even been brushing your teeth? Now, we could deal with flossing later. That's not even, a, that's not a big deal. Um, but Paul says, no, get into a rhythm of rejoicing. Don't wait. Don't wait for something to happen. Because here's what I find out. Here's what I find out. Whatever get, you get used to in the Lord, something bigger has to happen before you rejoice the next time. It's like Christmas. If you get this for Christmas this year and you got the same thing for Christmas next year, you'd be like, I got that. I got that last year. And so why would I clap as hard for something I got last year? I got the same thing this year. Instead, Paul says, rejoice always. Don't wait until, don't wait until God's not one-upping himself every day. So, so could we do that? Could we wake up? Can we go to bed tonight and go, Lord, I rejoice in the fact that you've saved me. I rejoice in the fact that you kept me. I rejoice in the fact that you're near. I rejoice in the fact that I'm not lost. I rejoice in the fact that you got a plan, a good plan for me. I rejoice in the fact that I'm eternally secure. I rejoice in the fact that, that this isn't the end of my story. I rejoice in the fact that there is a solution to this pain. I rejoice in the fact. And then you wake up in the morning and guess what? You do the same thing. You don't wait. You do the same thing. And, and then all of a sudden, you're in a rhythm of what? Rejoicing. And then you look like people that can do it naturally. And then we become annoying to everybody around us. But he says, get in a rhythm rejoicing. It was to come as a result of knowing Christ. Rejoice what? Not in your circumstances, but in the Lord. In the Lord. So we, I talked last week, uh, you guys talked about it too. Jesus has authority over all things. Do you believe that? Jesus has authority over all things. He said in Matthew 28 to the disciples, he, the father has given me authority over all things. And that should always be a source of rejoicing. Paul gives the reason for rejoicing in that the Lord is near. Jesus' authority and proximity are worth rejoicing. So let me say this. You may, you may know somebody that has the power to change things, but it doesn't seem like they're always a long ways off. Yeah, it's like, I know somebody could fix this, but I don't know how to get to the person that could fix it. You ever walked into a business or something? or oh, You know what? Even better, you're on the phone. You know, dealing with your internet provider. And you just, um, you know, tap one, tap three, tap six, talking to the phone. No, I don't want it like that. I just want to talk to somebody. 
and, and then they're like, if you'd like to go back to the main menu. Okay. I'm going to hang up and start over. And then I call back. The, it never seems like I can get to the person who can fix it. You get somebody on the line and you say, like, you should just start saying immediately, I want to talk to your supervisor. I want to talk to the owner of Comcast. I just like to, I'm, I'm just, you know, I've been on the phone five minutes. I think that's a long time. And I'd like to talk to the owner. Um, and the one that could fix it always seems a distance. So I started asking, Hey, I keep hearing no from you. Do you even have the authority to say yes? Like in your position right now, could you tell me yes? And you know what you find out? A lot of times they can't. They're just, their position is to say no. That, and that's a great position to have, actually. So it seems like they're a long ways off. Paul is saying the Lord is near. So what we talked about last week, the one with all the authority is close enough to us to fix it. You don't have to go through the automated telephone deal. You don't have to ask for the supervisor. You're never going to Jesus and saying, I'm going to the father if you don't fix this, man. If you don't fix this, I'm going up to the father and uh, he ain't going to like it. You never have to do that. But that's the way we think. Christ is so far away that my prayer never gets to him, that my prayer never makes any difference, that my prayer, and he's saying, no, 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 that's not true. He has all authority and you should wake up in the morning in a rhythm of going, Lord, I'm rejoicing because not only do you have all authority, but you're near to me. It says, it says he's near to the brokenhearted. He's close to you. Now don't let your emotions trip you up and tell you that he's not. Because I don't, I don't have to feel good for my wife to be close to me. Hmm. I feel better when she's close to me, but I don't have to feel good when she initially, you know, are you following me? So what happens is we trick ourselves out of rejoicing because we think or we feel like God is far off. And Paul says, no, 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 rejoice because the Lord is near. And the one who has the authority over everything that happens in your life, the one, the one who says he is working all things together for good, that one, the one who he proclaimed himself, the father has given me all authority in heaven and earth. He is near to us. So we should lay our heads down at night and go, Lord, you are near and you are concerned and you are moving from on my behalf. And I am rejoicing in that right now. And that brings rest to our souls. And then we wake up in the morning and we're doing the rhythm again. And then at lunchtime, we get up, we're doing the rhythm again. We're doing the rhythm again. We got to get into a rhythm. We got to, we got to do the teeth brushing of rejoicing. Don't wait. He says this, which is really important. And this is a little practical thing that he throws in here. Remember, he started off at the beginning of chapter four with two, two ladies in an argument. And then he goes, hey, let's rejoice. The Lord is near. And then he says, let your reasonableness be known. Let your reasonableness be known. Do you, do you know what I'm finding out today? Is that because... People are more stressed out because people don't know what to do with it. We have less reasonable people. Is that true? I mean, people flip out 
in an instant now. It, it is unbelievable. So he's writing to the church saying, no, 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 no. You have to be reasonable. You have to live a reasonable life. You have to let your reasonableness be made to be made known to all people. We cannot rejoice if we're demanding our rights all the time. Do you know, you know what the crazy part is in America? We get, I mean, it is amazing and I don't want to live anywhere else. We get rights. Amen. Yeah. And we've gotten really good at demanding them. And the, the thing about demanding our rights is that while we're given rights by our constitution and, and we, and they are ours to have the Bible actually restricts some of those rights because as a believer, our highest authority is not the U S constitution. Our highest authority is God. Amen. Okay. So here's what happens. I have the right in the United States to say whatever I want. Ha ha. Yes. I could get online and I could spew my opinion out. I can give a rating on Google. I can go to your business and give you a rating on Google. I can't wait till we get personal ratings. <laughs> but you notice Paul doesn't say, make sure you enunciate your rights to everybody around you. He says, make sure you let your reasonableness be known to everybody around you. And the church is in a conflict right now, whether we're going to stand on our rights or our reasonableness. Which flag am I going to point in the ground? Am, am I going to, I get on the radio several times a year and we always, around this time, we start talking about politics, which we're talking about politics all the time now in our culture. And, and they'll say, how do you, how do you, how do you navigate through this? And I said, you, the, the key to navigating it is you have to care for people more than you do their politics. When we're reasonable, we realize how you vote in November doesn't exclude you from heaven. I know some people just went, I ain't coming back here, man. I mean, they'll let it, they'll let anybody in this place. They'll let anybody. Can I just tell you something right now? That is an unreasonable idea that, that Jesus died on the cross for us and then added a caveat. If you vote that way, you can't go. Now we have rights to believe what we want to believe, vote the way we want to vote, do the whole thing. But Paul's saying, be reasonable with people. Don't demand. Be re- let, let them see your reasonableness. He writes in first Timothy to his young protege in chapter three, verse three, to not be a drunkard, not violent, but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money, not quarrelsome, be gentle and not quarrelsome. I'm not saying, I'm not saying don't, don't have a spirit of debate, but will you let that spirit of debate keep you from sharing with somebody else? Will we, will we become unreasonable? No, that person believes that. So now I will never help them again. 
Now remember, we're talking about what, what leaves us with no peace and no rest here. We're talking about these things. And we could turn on the news and have so much distress in our hearts and then be like, oh, look at this person on Facebook. It's like, they're full of the devil. I don't know. They just, they watch a different news channel than you do. The crazy thing is you can go to bed at night worked up about what somebody else said opposite of you on Facebook about a political thing that we really don't know a lot about. Let's be honest. We're in West Virginia. (laughs) That's not the political capital of the world. I just wanted to make sure everybody knows. Titus 3, chapter 3, verse 2 says, speak evil of no one to avoid quarreling, to be gentle and show perfect courtesy toward. I should have got a different, there's another translation that says only the people you like, but um, I messed up and put this one in here, all people. So are you, are you, are you seeing the pattern? Rejoice always, rejoice always, be, be, be reasonable towards people. Don't you, don't you feel a little peace coming over you right now? I can rejoice in the morning and then I can set out in the day to be reasonable. Like the Holy Spirit in me can allow me to be reasonable. Okay, are you ready for the next thing? Now we get into the rhythm of petition. Because the beautiful thing is Paul doesn't say, don't be anxious, just, just forget about it. it. Just don't worry about it. And that's a lot of advice that people have gotten. Don't worry about it. If you love Jesus, don't worry about it. No, but he tells us there's a practicality of working these things out. Rejoice always. Be reasonable towards people. Don't, 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 be, in, don't be quarrelsome and keep yourself worked up all the time. This is not going to benefit you. So rejoice always. Get a rhythm of rejoicing. Get a rhythm of being reasonable. And now get in a rhythm of petition. Ask. And this is a good thing. Ask the Lord. He says, get in a rhythm in every circumstance. So what's he saying? We should come to Christ as our source in every circumstance. So I want to ask you, where do you typically go first for your source? Some people typically go first to the credit card. That's not working out well for our country. Some people typically go first to... um, Another friend who's in the same boat. Some of you will get that. I, um, I, I made a commitment years ago to not ask the people who were sinking with me what we should do. Yeah. Hey, the boat's going down. Yeah. Maybe we should call somebody outside of the boat. Because we're all in the boat. And we're all sinking. So I, I just, years ago, I thought, I'm going to call somebody that's not in the boat. And maybe I can get some. So where is our first knee jerk? Where do we go for our source? Is it an addiction? Is it a, is it a, is it a distraction that we go to first? Where do we go for our source? When, when the stress comes on, what do we do? Do we, do we just start scrolling and mind numbing? Do we, do we sit down in front of the TV? Do we, do we, do we drink? Do we do drugs? Do we, do we, do we 
do destructive things? Where's our source? Where do we go as soon as the thing breaks off? And what Paul's saying is get into a rhythm of going to him first. Amen? Get in a rhythm of petition first. So he says, don't be anxious about anything, but in every circumstance, go to God first. In every circumstance, he should be our first call, our first prayer. So Jesus says in Matthew chapter 6, verse 25, he, he gives you the reason for this. And Paul is, Paul is kind of taking off of what Jesus said in Matthew. Therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life. That's coming from Jesus. Don't be anxious about your life. He says, oh, it's easy for you to say. And then he explains. Don't be anxious about your life, what you will eat, what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food, the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to a span of life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field and how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all of his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown in the oven, will he not much more clothe you? O you of little faith. Therefore, do not be anxious. Third time he's saying it. What shall we eat? What shall we drink? Or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things. And your heavenly father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. If you're in need, he says, go to God first. Amen? If you're in need, go to God first. That's not a placate. We're not placating God. We're saying, God, we believe you're our supply. We believe you, you will supply. We believe you are working this out for our good. We believe you care about, I believe you care about me than the bird that built the nest in my, in my, oh, my house that messes the whole thing up every day. You built that bird. You must care for me. The thing's still there too. We got like a power washer battle every year. And I'm like, these, these things are vicious. These barn swallows, man, taking over the world. Seek the kingdom of God and his righteousness. All these things will be added to you. Therefore, don't be anxious about tomorrow. Now you flip to Philippians 4 and Paul's saying the exact same thing. Don't be anxious. Don't be anxious. You can go to God. You can petition him. Actually, he wants you to petition him. Do you remember the Lord's prayer? Come on, help me out. We'll say it. Our father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. Stop. What did he say? Our father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. We're going to rejoice in him. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Lord, we want your will done in our lives. We want you close. We want you proximity. We want your will done here through me. Then he says what? He said, ask, pray that way, get into the rhythm. When you pray, pray like this, Jesus said. When you're in a rhythm of praying, pray like this, rejoice, do like pray God's will and ask. Rejoice, pray God's will and ask. Paul's saying the same thing in Philippians four. 
He's saying, rejoice. Hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. And then he says, in every circumstance, go to him first. Now, there's some, there's some characteristics that we need to employ when we're asking. Some of you have whiny prayer voices. I, don't, I, I was just making that up, but I'm, I'm imagining. Um, so we go to God and we're like this. We're like, God, man, it happened again. And nothing ever goes my way. And, you know, it feels like you haven't been paying attention. And, you know, just annoying. And, and it's just like, wow. So Paul alleviates the whiny prayer by saying, we petition God with thanksgiving. Now you go, well, I need something. How can I be thankful before I get it? Because you have a God to ask. Not a God, you have the God who, remember, is in close proximity, who has all authority. So now I'm coming to him, now not just based on this current need, but based on my experience with him. We talked about that last week where, where the disciples saw him heal people. They saw him touch a leper. They saw him, they saw him cast out demons. They saw all these things. So, so we now, 2000 years later, we know he died, rose again. We know he's conquered death, hell, and the grave. We know all these things. And he's been serving in five minutes. You know that he's saved your life. If you just came to Christ, you can look back over your whole life and see without you even knowing him, how he orchestrated you to get here. Amen. How he protected you, how you should have been in prison. I don't know anything about anybody. I'm just guessing how you should have been dead from the car, the whole thing, all these things. And you look back and you go, man, the grace of God over my life. Then what happens is we start, we, when we pray, we start going, oh, my life is terrible, Lord. And we're playing into it, play into it. We play into it. And Paul says, don't do that. When you go to him, start out with Thanksgiving. We're in a rhythm of rejoicing. Okay. This, we're starting to wear these things into our head. We're in a rhythm of rejoicing. We're in a rhythm. We're in the rhythm of being reasonable, not quarrelsome. We're not filling up our minds with arguments all the time. And now he says, when you're in need, go to him first. Don't, don't try everything else and then get to him. Go to him first. And when you go to him, say, Lord, I'm so thankful that I get to come to you with this. That changes the way we pray. Lord, I'm thankful that you kept me. I'm thankful that you provided for me up to this point. And Lord, I'm thankful that you will. And I remember when, when Jesus said in Matthew that you love me more than those nasty, dirty birds that keep pooping all over my concrete. And I'm so thankful for that. And I know you're going to take care of me right now. That's a different mindset, isn't it? It's a thanksgiving mindset. Matter of fact, the psalmist wrote in Psalm 100, verse 4, enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks and bless his name for the Lord is good. His steadfast love endures forever and his faithfulness to all generations. When we come into the presence of God, how do we get there? We go through the gate of thanksgiving. That's how we enter in. We don't go through the gate of complaining. There is no gate named complaining. 
And the reason you're entering in is so you can petition the king. It's not for no reason. But the Bible actually says God knows what you need before you even ask of it. So, so what we're doing is we're doing a formal ask. Do you understand what I'm saying here? Listen, there's times I know my kids need things, but I want them <laughs> to ask. Because when they were growing up, I needed to, them to know that I was their source. They didn't need to go anywhere else. Are you following me? I didn't want them going to some stranger. I didn't want them. No, 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 no. You need something, you come to, the, you come to dad. You need some, you come to me. And so, so, so we get to come to him. Thanksgiving, he knows what we need, but we get to come to him and say, Lord, I'm formally asking you because I trust you. Now, can I, can I make a, a little statement here? I don't ask people that can't provide. That's a pointless conversation. I don't go to people and ask people to do something that can't do it. That's a waste of breath. When I come to people and ask them, it's because I already believe they can accomplish what I ask them to do. I either already know they have enough money. I already know they have enough talent. I already know they have enough time. I already know they have enough ability. And so when I go to somebody and ask, I go, this person could do this. I'm already thinking it. This person could do it. This person's capable. This person has enough talent. This person has enough resources. This person has enough this or that. I already, I'm not going to people and saying, hey, do you think you could do it? Only to hear there's no way. Well, I, I mean, I, I kind of knew that. I just thought I'd ask. <laughs> the beautiful thing is that when we go to God first, it's a sign of faith that we believe he's capable and willing. So that's what you're telling him when you go. If the Bible says he already knows what you need, then God is, wants us to respond in faith to that by asking. Are you following me? So when we ask, we say, God, I'm asking because you can do it. I'm asking because you have the resources. I'm asking because I already believe you care for me. I'm asking because I believe you're able. I'm asking because I believe you're willing. And so you're, and asking is actually a sign of faith. So when you come to him with thanksgiving, Lord, I'm so thankful that you saved me. I'm so thankful that you've cared for me. And in light of all that you've done, and now I'm asking for this because you can. Well, that's a totally different thing. I'm telling you, my kids come to me like that. I'm like, how much do you need? We'll do something. How much do you need? Now, if they come like, oh, you know. My life has been so hard. I'm like, you grew up here. <laughs> but if they come to me and they say, hey, listen, man, you made it easy for us. You provided all this way. Are, come on. Are you, are you following me? When we go to God and we say, God, you have provided, you have healed, you have done beyond anything I deserve. And now I'm coming to you because you're, you're still that same God. That's faith. Paul says, get in a rhythm of that. A rhythm of that type of faith. With thanksgiving. All right, the last thing. Because a lot of times we stop there. 
We petition God with thanksgiving and the peace of God that passes all understanding will guard our hearts and our minds. But that's not where Paul stops. Because Paul writes, verse 8 as well, finally, brothers, now we're getting to the end. Whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, what's he say do? Think about these things. Now, here's the trick. You can't stop thinking. I know some of your spouses think you do. But you can't stop thinking. Your parents may be asking you, what are you, what are you thinking? As if you're not. But nobody can stop thinking. You're thinking when you're asleep. You do know that, don't you? It's called dreaming. Your mind is still at work. It may be a little slower, but it's still working when you're asleep. You're thinking all the time. So you can't not think about something. You say, well, I'll turn the TV on so I don't have to think. You're thinking, about turning the, you're thinking about the TV when you're not thinking. So you're always thinking about something. So, so it's useless to tell you don't think about something. So God already knows that because he created your brain. So Paul doesn't say don't think about these things. He says, he says, he doesn't say just don't be anxious. When you get all the way down to verse 8, he says, think about this. And so all we have to do is thought transplants. We have to do brain surgery and you have to, you have to not, not think about that. Has anybody ever been told, don't think about that? And then what do you do? And you start thinking about it. And you're like, I wish they told me not to think about it. I wasn't even thinking about it until they brought it up and told me not to think about it. Now I'm thinking about it. Can't stop thinking about it because they told me not to. It's like that reverse psychology. Don't tell your kids not to do it or they'll start doing it. I don't believe that, by the way. So what happens is Paul doesn't say, don't think about it. He says, think about this. And now we're in another rhythm. What are you going to think about every day? What are you going to allow yourself to think about every day? And, no, and nobody, come on, the church is overcomers. We can't be prisoners of our own thoughts. We get to choose. And it may be a struggle to wear in a new path of thinking, but Paul is telling us, if you have the ability to think about these good things, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there's any excellence, if anything worthy of praise, think about these things. So we're directed to practice moving our thoughts away from ourselves, away from our circumstances and our disagreements to his characteristics. This is the culmination of rejoicing and petition. When we've let our petition determine what we think and do. So now here's the thing. We've, we've gotten to the rhythm of rejoicing. We wake up in the morning, Lord, I rejoice in the fact that you're close. I rejoice in the fact that you, that you care about me. I rejoice in the fact that you saved me. I rejoice in all this stuff. And I'm going to be a reasonable person today. I'm going to start with my spouse. It's a new day. I'm going to start with my spouse. I'm going to be reasonable. And then I'll be reasonable at work because you're close to me. Because you're, you're, you have authority over all things, you're close to me, so I'm going to be reasonable. And then, Lord, when a need pops up, I'm coming to you first. Not in a whiny, whiny little selfish mode, but with a, with a heart of thanksgiving of all that you've already done. I'm coming to you as my provider. And then, after I've petitioned you, I'm going to think on good things. Because you know what we do? We petition God, and then we go right back to the sour thinking we had before. 
We petition God and we go, well, I asked and then he didn't do anything about it. Did you see what Paul did there? He said, no, 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 no. Don't ask and then go back to the same broken thinking you were doing before. Ask and then think on God's characteristics. If it's noble, if it's good, if it's true, if it's excellent, if it's worthy of praise. Think on all, think on those things. Let your mind be consumed with that. He leaves one more thing. Stand to your feet. Philippians 4, 9. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me. Did you see, did you see what he said? Everything I've taught you, everything you received from me, everything you've seen in me, practice these things and the God of peace will be with you. See what he did there? So Paul's laying out teaching and application. He's saying, listen, the time I've been with you, the, 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 the stuff I've written to you, the stuff you've seen in me. Now, it's not, it's not just enough to know it. You have to put it into practice. And rest and peace comes into our lives when we actually practice these things. It's not enough to know it. How many times have you bumped into somebody? I know I should. I know what I should do. I know what I should do. I know. I know. I love it when people come to me and they say, hey, man, it's going through it. And I'll, I'll say, hey, the, I know, I know, I know. And I'm like, well, okay, I don't need to say anything else. You obviously know everything you're supposed to do. The issue is knowing and practicing are two different things. Amen? Knowing intellectual knowledge and putting it into practice can be as far away as the East is from the West. And what we have to get really good at the church is like, I know I'm supposed to be reasonable. So then I am going to be reasonable. And not my, I know I should have been more reasonable on this. No, no, no. I will be reasonable. I am reasonable and I will stay reasonable. And I, when I wake up, I'm going to be reasonable. Amen. And I'm going to have a rhythm of rejoicing. So tomorrow morning when you wake up and you feel that wrong side of the bed smack you in the face. Nope. I'm putting into practice rejoicing this morning and it may be difficult for 30, 40 days until you wear that path in, but you've got to practice it. Paul says, whatever you've seen in me, whatever you've learned from me, whatever, whatever you've read from me, put it into practice. And then he doubles down on what he says earlier in Philippians four, the God of peace will be with you. If we want rest for our souls, we have to create a rhythm of practicing these things over and over and over and over again. The best thing that I want for you is to be at rest in Christ. I don't, your circumstances are what they are and they will ebb and flow throughout the rest of your life. And I'm not a pastor that's going to stand up and say, but if you put these into practice, nothing bad's ever going to happen. But what I will tell you is if you put these into practice, when bad things do happen, you don't have to lose your mind. Amen? So I want to pray that way with you. If you bow your heads this morning, listen, there's probably somebody in the room that says, I don't have any peace. And I would, and, and you don't know Jesus. And I would say the first thing you need to do is you need to have a relationship with him. I'm not going to ask you to come up front, do anything. I just want you to consider the proposal. How much peace can you get on your own? How much rest in your soul can you, have you been able to muster up on your own? And God has put you here this morning 
to petition you and say, hey, I can give you rest. Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. That's what he says to us. So I would encourage you, in your own words, just start that relationship with him. Say, Lord, I cannot do this on my own. I can't do it on my own. I need you. I need you to forgive me of my sins, take that weight off my shoulders, and I accept Christ. And I need that rest this morning. And then if you're in here and you have been following Christ, but you've been doing it full of anxiety and full of angst, I need you to lean in this morning to know that he is enough for you. He's close and he's enough. And start putting into practice these rhythms that Paul talks about. So Father, we ask you right now, help us do that. Lord, don't just help us be full of head knowledge about you, but Lord, let us put it into practice day after day after day. And we pray, Lord, as we practice making you our source, Lord, then our hearts would be at peace and rest. Our minds would be at peace and rest. No matter what circumstance we walk through, even if we walk through the valley of the shadow of death, Lord, we do not have to fear or be anxious because you are with us. And we give you honor and glory for that this morning. In Jesus' name, we pray. Come on, church. Can you thank him? Come on, he's going to give you rest this morning.